Well, good morning. Let's try that again. Good morning. There we go. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm Brian Noble, CEO of Peacemaker Ministries. And in case you're not aware of who Peacemaker Ministries is, we're a nonprofit organization that's been around for 30 years. We operate in 100 countries, 10 different languages. And so far this year, we've touched 1.3 million people, helping them resolve conflict. And so um, it's an honor to be here. We do this day in and day out of working with churches and nonprofits and for-profits, quite frankly, uh, as we as we operate families and those kind of things. Peacemakers was founded in the 1980s by Ken Sandy, who's an attorney, and uh, he uh, really took the ministry around the globe and did an amazing job of bringing about a ministry of reconciliation. I've been a CEO for about a year and uh, been involved with peacemaking for 15 years. I'm usually asked, how did you get involved with Peacemaker Ministries? I split a church. And so I thought, some people say, did he say that? He split a church? Yes, I split a church. And so I thought there's got to be a better way. And I uh, dove into Peacemaker Ministries in my uh, my late 20s and, and took another church and created an entire community of peacemaking where the government would call us and do reconciliation services for them. So sometimes we can learn from our mistakes and, uh, and grow into more of what God would have us uh, to do. So your church called me and said, hey, uh, Brian, will you help us walk through some tension that we're having? And how many of you know that there's healthy tension in life and there can be unhealthy tension in life? Right. Like childbirth is healthy tension, but it feels unhealthy in the moment, right? At least I'm told. So we see that tension has three basic sources. We have uh, tension like this. This is underutilized tension. It's where it's just kind of sitting there. A lot of the church has this type of tension where there's tons of potential, but it's not being utilized. Oftentimes we see in the church and community is that tension can also be aimed at other people. And so when tension is aimed at other people, it's also improperly utilized tension and is unhealthy. But what was a rubber band created to do? A rubber band was created to hold things together. And so that's what healthy tension is about, is having that tension as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, that tension that, that holds us together. And we want that type of tension within the church. Now, oftentimes when I speak on these occasions, people are like, is there something majorly wrong with, our, with this church or majorly wrong with this body? And the answer is absolutely not. I can tell you, having worked with hundreds of churches, that you have a very, very healthy church here. And I'm excited because oftentimes what happens, people want a a form of reconciliation at the end. And I will tell you, if they haven't had the Christian foundation at the beginning, it's very difficult to have that at the end. And I saw uh, your leadership respond in grace, mercy, humility, and kindness. And uh, it made me honored to be uh, a brother in the Lord with them. So let me walk you through the process that we did a couple weeks ago. If you can pull out your brochure, I just taught you the difference between healthy and unhealthy tension. And then if you open up that brochure, uh, the first step that we did on Friday night was discover the story and stretch our perspective. And so say we all have a story. Go ahead. We all have a story. And whether you're raising your kids or you're at, working at uh, Subway or whatever you want to do, wh- whatever you want to say, we all have a story. There's a way that we interact. And so what we did that first night is we listened to each other's story from about 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock that night. For three hours, we sat and listened. No interruptions from person to person to person. We just listened to the story. I, I was trying to remember when we came back, whether it was 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock, but it was 8. So we came back at 8 o'clock the next day. 
and we listened to Moore's story for two and a half more hours. No interruptions. Just one person told the story, next person told the story, next person told the story, and we listened. And after we got done listening to the story, we did the next step of the path, and that's ascend. We go back to our biblical core values. And this is what, how we handled this. We had them get pair off in groups, uh, the leadership, and they began to remind themselves or each other of God's presence, being with them, God's character being with them, that their identity is in Christ Jesus, and that they have a higher calling. And so they got in these groups, and it's really funny when people are, you know, have a little bit of tension between them to say, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to read scripture together and pray together. I'm telling you, the next time you get in and have some tension with your spouse, if you'll discover your story and search your perspective, and then you go, you know what, let's stop and just read scripture together and pray together, it will dramatically change how you interact, all right? So they started out by reminding each other that God's presence is with them, that God's character is one of love and care, and that uh, our identity is in Christ Jesus, and that we have a calling, After that, I can't remember how long that took, but then we went into reflect, and this is taking personal responsibility. And we used a number of tools to help get the log out of our own eye. And the first tool that we used that was the log inspect tool where they sat, and on sticky notes, they wrote the log that was in their own eye. And so they took these sticky notes, we had a little bit larger ones, and they stuck them up on the wall, right? And this is always exciting to do. I mean, how many of you want your sin put up on the wall? No. In fact, I can remember this married couple one time. They, uh, they came in to my office, and I asked them to put the log on the, uh, you know, the sticky note on the wall. And they're like, really? They wouldn't do it. So I just went up and started putting all my sin on the wall. You know, and just like lust, uh, greed, whatever else I've ever had in my life flow through my body. I just started putting it up there. And they're like, I think he's putting his sin on the wall. And they're like, yeah. And they saw the notes sitting there with the Sharpies, and so they started writing it. And it became a competition. She started counting his. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And so she would write down another one to try to beat him about the sin in her life, right? And so that's what Christ wants. Let me tell you, the cross is big enough for all of our sin. So I am honored and, and proud to say that your leadership just took responsibility for their actions. And then, one by one, They took a piece of paper down, and they confessed their sins to each other and asked for forgiveness. They came up with a plan for the future. And so I'm going to ask those who participated in the PATH conversation to come forward. If you just come forward. Uh, If you don't know all these people, I've got to know them all very well, and they're awesome people. I don't know why you're by yourself. (laughs) Yeah, no, 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 you guys all over here. At the end, we reminded each of them that they are forgiven as far as the east is from the west, that all of the sin that they've uh, shared with each other, all the conflict that they shared with each other is behind the back of God, is under his feet, and that he chooses not to remember it any longer. And so I, want, I, I am thankful for these men and women that took the time because they love you so much to have healthy relationships between them. And uh, it, it was evident that, that weekend as we went through that they uh, wanted God to do a work in their life. And so uh, I'm going to ask Pastor Matt and Pastor uh, Severin to step forward. Um, yeah. <laughs> These two men did a phenomenal job of asking for reconciliation and being reconciled to each other. 
There may be some still systematic things they have to work out and some details they have to work out. But relationally, we saw them come to a point where they surrendered everything and that they are whole. Um, they, we did this thing with the sticky notes where they could write whatever they wanted on top, at the cross, under the blood, you know, whatever they wanted over the conflict that they had. And they took all their things and laid it at the cross or put it under the blood of Jesus. Will you give them a round of applause and thank them for that? I'm going to ask Chris to step forward. I'm going to ask Pastor Severin to step forward. I want you guys to know that these are two mighty brothers in the Lord. And sometimes, because we're so similar, it drives us. How many of you know that? Your similarities can drive you nuts at times, right? And these two men of God did a phenomenal job of reconciling and walking in the grace and mercy of God. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And I would just like you to give them a round of applause for reconciliation. <laughs> Megan, I'd like you to step forward. First, I need to apologize for calling you Michelle last night. That's the other case I'm working on. <laughs> but Megan, you did a phenomenal job. And Pastor Matt, if you would step forward. They did a phenomenal job of clarifying some of the events in their life and just walking in the authenticity of Christ and knowing that Christ is with each of them. And I think you, got, you gained some clarity, and, uh, and I'm, I'm honored that you guys reconciled uh, your relationship. If you guys could show that properly. So here, here's where we are. They have reconciled relationally. Now, here's what we know is that in order to, to have further reconciliation, it has to be maintained, right? And so usually what will happen is that there will be an attempt, uh, I, I would say, by the enemy to try to put another speed bump in or try to, uh, try to do that. And so I'd encourage you to pray uh, for your elders and your leaders and your pastors. It's very important. Um, just because I didn't call some people out, that doesn't, you know, James, everyone loves James, and, you know, that doesn't mean they didn't reconcile, or didn't, uh, Matt, and that, uh, Justin, that you guys didn't do a great job as well, I, I didn't mean it that way, but they all reconciled, and it's interesting, did I call you the wrong name? Okay, they, <laughs> it's interesting that they, uh, that they uh, just went to the cross very quickly, uh, there's a tool that we have to use sometimes called the private meeting or a caucus. And sometimes that, what that is used for is to twist somebody's arm to get them to apologize. And I didn't have to use that at all. So that was very nice. Uh, I actually, it's my favorite part. The torture t- chamber is my favorite part. But um, there is still some structural things they have to work on. Just being completely honest. Some of the structural things they're working through. I believe that some of that has gone to the bylaws committee and, um, and it, working on, uh, through that. And so they'll work on those things. But I'll tell you, it's nothing that's not solvable by Jesus Christ. It's not, there's no major hidden sin. There's no, I mean, I just, I need you to hear that sometimes in, in, in relationships, conflict can happen and misunderstandings can happen. And so we just thank you, uh, men and, I guess men and women, for, uh, for going through this process. God bless you and you guys can be seated. Thank you. Give them a round of applause.
We're going to get in the Word in just a moment, but I want you to remember this. We all have a story. We need to ascend, go back to our biblical core values, reflect, take personal responsibility, and connect to make a plan. This is the path that we use, whether it's two people or a thousand people. This is the path that we use, whether we're in the casino, we're in the government, or we're sitting out of church. It's the same path we use over and over And I want to encourage you, it works. Next time your kids come up to you and you're like, what's going on? Tell me the story. And they tell one story, tell your story. What's the biblical core value? And in our home, we have this one. Don't repay evil for evil. Because how many of you know kids like to repay evil for evil? So we're not going to repay evil for evil. Then we're going to reflect. I want you to take responsibility. I want you to take responsibility. Now what's the plan for the future? It works. It's like stop, drop, and roll. Ascend, reflect, connect. Amen? Amen. Let's, uh, let's get into God's word together today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you as we get into your word today. I pray that you'll take and you'll bless this word to our hearts and to our minds. God, that we would sense and know that your presence is here today, God. God, I thank you that you do go before us, God. That you do surround us, God. That your, your character is such of love, grace, mercy, justice, and humility, God. God, I pray that as we get into your word today, that it will literally transform our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. God, that we would know and understand you more today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've been married to my beautiful wife, Tanya, for 21 years. Uh, We have four kids. Our oldest is 19. He is a barber and uh, loves barbering and uh, cuts hair and does all that kind of great stuff. My daughter is 17. She's a special needs child. She's never walked or talked, has a trach and a G-tube. And we call her our little missionary because we have uh, nursing care in our home 12 hours a day. And we just love her dearly. We've led many of the nurses to the Lord. And then I have an April 1st baby. He's 14. His name is Gideon, and he encompasses everything about that day. He is like the jokester and the prankster of all pranksters, right? And it's amazing because as you watch his life, he's into uh, Christian youth theater. He loves to act. He loves to be on stage. And he is just an amazing man of God. And then we have Gabriel, and Gabriel is my little angel from heaven. I'll say, Gabriel... Would you clean your bed, bedroom? He, is, he says, it'd be my pleasure to clean my bedroom. <laughs> Last week, I asked him to clean his bedroom, and he kind of got a little lippy with me, and I said, hey, Gabriel, I travel all over the world telling people that you say it's going to be a pleasure to clean my bedroom. <laughs> yes, Dad. <laughs> How many of you know that marriage can be hard at times? Yeah, so the first four years of our marriage was hell on earth. The next six years was purgatory. I don't even believe in purgatory, but I experienced it. (laughs) The next 10 years have been like we've been friends, okay? I'll just tell you, if you're in the first four years, we're praying for you. But uh, we we became friends. And a lot of it was because of the story that I've told in my head. The the things I thought should have happened a certain way or ways that people should respond. And we're going to start with Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to end up in Philippians, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 real quick. And we're going to look at the ninth verse. In Matthew 5, 9, it says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. I want you to think through that with me. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, we live in a society where conflict or tension is all around us. I was speaking at a a 
political rally the other day and talking about bringing civility back to our society once again. And here's what I know. I know that as a people, that when we have tension that happens in the marketplace and tension that happens in the home place and tension that happens even inside of ourselves, that we need some kind of outlet. And so in that outlet, what happens is oftentimes we end up in sinful behavior. And God has called us that we may be called peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. With tension all around us and surrounding us, we must realize that there's something more true than the tension that we feel. Some read this verse like this. Blessed are the peacemakers. They read it like, blessed are those who do peacemaking. But that's not what the verse says. Did you know that the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, dwells within you? You are a peacemaker because of who dwells inside of you, Jesus. Now, if you haven't placed your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, I encourage you to do so. But as you think about this, he says that you are a blessed person. Look to the person next to you and say, I'm blessed. Some of you don't believe it. (laughs) Say it again, I'm blessed. See, you're blessed not because of you. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not that big of a deal. You aren't that big of a deal. Some say, say what? All my life I've, told, I've been told I'm a big deal. You're not that big of a deal, but Jesus dwelling inside of you is a big deal. See, you got to get, get it right. You will have tension and conflict in your life. The bigger deal you think you are, the, less you're, you're, the more tension you're going to have. The less of you, you think of yourself and the bigger deal you think of Jesus, you begin to understand that the Prince of Peace dwells within you. And the tension begins to subside. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Now, as I look at this, I think of my own life. I think of the stubbornness of of when I was first married. And I think about how I knew intellectually I was a peacemaker. But in my practice, I was everything but that. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, that guy back there, he does. He's like, amen. He's the one that did the RSVP thing, I think. But we, we, (laughs) we... We look at this and we begin to think about the tension in our life. In fact, in my marriage, I was, it was so easy for me to create tension. Now, I have my excuses. I can have the excuse that I come from a divorced family. My parents divorced at the young age that I was really, quite frankly, raised against the church because my, my, my mom, it was a pastor's kid in one sense. And I mean, I have my excuses. But the fact is, As a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, the truth is I didn't have an excuse. I was grasping for something that wasn't quite true. And a lot of it had to do with my perspective in life. That's why Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God. He wants us to be living dead things to God, dead to ourselves and living by the Spirit of God. He wants us to be living in the things of what God has us to do. And then he says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And transformation is what I always wanted. I can remember, um, uh, have you ever had an iron sharpening iron moment with someone? Uh, This gentleman in my church sat me down and he says, Brian, you need to stop causing tension in your life. You're stressing me out. 
And it was just one of those moments where God just speaks to your heart and you're like, okay, God has given me a warning through this man. Now, I have to tell you about this man. He never came over to my house. He never, we never really went like on a family camping trip or anything like that together. We saw each other at church. He had me over to his house one time for dinner and he, he said that to me. And he couldn't have been more accurate. I got in the car and some tears came up to my eyes and my mind started transforming a little bit. Like, you know what? I don't need to cause tension every day. See, when I get bad at causing tension in my life, my wife says, go out and teach peacemaking. Because I come back and I remind myself of all the biblical principles. See, we have a story that floats within our head. And in fact, we know that from this Bible verse, that be transformed by the renewing of our mind is both in our biological and our physical, uh, physical transformation. Uh, the, the, uh, the scientists are telling us that our mind sets up brain waves that we set, begin to send uh, paths into our mind that send uh, dopamine from the, uh, the, uh, I just went brain, the limbic system to the frontal cortex, and that we can begin to have a physical mind change as we go through conflict as tension is raised. And God says, I want you to put a new path, a new thought. I want your mind to be transformed. And that's what we're going to talk about today, is how do we transform our mind? How do we transform the story that is going on in our head? And the truth is, Paul gives us an ex- excellent example in Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. In Philippians chapter 4, he gives us this example. He says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crown in the way I stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Then he brings up, I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. It's interesting because he, he says, I tell you, Eodia and Syntyche, I want you to get along together. Now, what, what I love about Paul's writings is oftentimes he brings in these people towards the ends of, end of his books that he begins to articulate, like, so-and-so did this, and so-and-so did that. And he, and he begins to articulate what they need to do. He says, indeed, these women are true companions. I ask you also to help these women who have shared in my struggle for the cause of the gospel, together with Clement and also the rest of my fellow workers whose names are written in the book of life. Wouldn't you like it if, like, Paul, like, your name showed up there one, one time? It's like, you're, you're reading through, and it says, and I, and I pray that Brian Nobles, whose name is written in the book of life. I mean, that is just such a reassuring thing. Now, as you think about these two women, remember, he says, I'm urging them to get along in harmony. They're in conflict, and yet he's saying their names are written in the book of life. And that's what's amazing about the Word of God is that he begins to point out that Clement and Eodia and Satiki are their fellow workers for the gospel and that they're there and they're having some struggles because guess what? When you have Christians, you have struggles. Right? Only one person gets that, right? (laughs) Have you ever noticed when you're in the room alone, there's not too much struggle. Maybe some of you have some struggles going on in your head, but there's typically not too much going on. You're like, okay. And then your brother or sister walks into the room and all of a sudden, like, tension rises up at times. Or you begin to feel a conflict. Or someone says, you know, I have a little bit of a different idea. And you're like, my idea was the best idea. I thought about that for a whole 15 minutes. And see, here's why I want you to know. If you think you're a big deal, you're going to always have conflict. 
I was at the airport. Actually, it was when I was flying out from here. Uh, I was at the airport, and I tried to get on an earlier flight. And so some, I walk up to the, uh, the air, uh, counter there, and I said, hey, is there an earlier flight? And they're like, yeah, it's, it's leaving right now. I said, I'd like to change my flight. And she's like, well, that'll be like $200. And I said, what? I said, there's like eight people on the flight. She says, yeah, but that's how much it costs. I'm like, okay, I'll just wait. So I'm sitting there waiting in the thing for another 45 minutes for my flight. And they kept saying, Paul Noble, your flight is boarding. I'm like, Paul Noble, that name sounds familiar. See, my, name, my legal name is Paul Brian Noble. So I'm sitting there, and Paul Noble, your flight is boarded. My flight, that, guy, that guy needs to get it together. <laughs> Paul Noble, everyone's on the plane. Could you play? They knew I was there because I had to come up to the counter, right? I'm like, oh, that's me. So I go up, I'm like, oh, that's me. And then, like, your ticket. I'm, now I'm, like, all, you know, bewildered by my lack of, I'm trying to find my, he says, just give me your driver's license. So I give him the driver's license, and I get on the flight, and I'm forgetting all the etiquette of flying at this very moment, right? I'm causing some tension. I get in, I sit down, I put my tray down. The lady's like, your tray needs to be up. I'm like, oh, I'm one of those guys. I'm the newbie on the flight, you know, and and so here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that we're all going to have tension. And the more that you think about yourself, the more that you're going to have tension in your life. The more that you can realize you're just not that big of a deal. And Jesus is a big deal. It's going to help you out. And we can believe whatever story we want to believe about the other person or about ourselves. We can either believe a God story with a God perspective or we can believe a Brian story with a Brian perspective. Let me give you an illustration of this. I was officiating a wedding, and the bride comes down the center aisle, and as she's coming down the center aisle, it hits me that I'll never walk my daughter Isabella down the aisle. I thought, she's never going to get married. I would never thought about that before until that point. And so tears come up, and as any good pastor would do, I just kind of looked up to the left, tried to get it together, uh, and I officiated the whole wedding, and people were like, came up and said, Pastor, that was so sentimental. You were crying in that wedding. That, thank you. You just love your people so much. I, I just lied to them. I didn't tell them the truth at all. That It was really a pity party that was going on. I said, oh, praise God. Bless you, my child. <laughs> right? And so, and so I, I just sat in my car, and, and I was sitting there kind of, have you ever complained to God a little bit? And this pity story, I'll never get to, I'll never get to walk my daughter down the aisle. She's, I've never got, get to hear her say a word. I've never seen her twirl in the dress. And I'm just like going through all this stuff in my mind. And I'm telling God, why is this? And I, then I started bringing out my own righteousness. Have you ever done that with God? God, I was a virgin when I got married. God, I was this. God, I was that. You know, and I started bringing up all this stuff to God. And God spoke to my heart. And he said this. And I mean no offense to all of the men in the room. But he said, Brian, the men of this world walk their daughters down to losers. You will walk your daughter down to the king of kings and the lord of lords. And my perspective began to change. The first words out of your daughter's mouth will be Jesus. Her first dance will be in the presence of God Almighty. I got out of that car and I was so happy. I went to church the next week uh, and started preaching. I said, hey, all of you get to walk your daughters down to losers. 
my perspective have changed. Now, I just wrote a book, and they said, we can't say that, Brian. You've got to change the language. That's too offensive. So they made me write in there something like, all of your daughters get to walk you down to mere men, I think is what they wrote in the book. I'm like, that's not what he said, but okay. <laughs> if that's what the millennials need, that's... No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> so what I'm saying is you can begin to get a bigger perspective. It doesn't take a genius to see someone else's fallenness. But it takes an act of the Holy Spirit to see God's work within them. And so that's what he says to these women. He says this in verse 4. He says, Eodian said, Tiki, I want you to do this. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Now, when you look at the verse... Notice that he doesn't say, rejoice, Iota, in Syntyche's fallenness. He doesn't say, rejoice, in, uh, Iota, in Syntyche's good behavior, or good efforts, in her, in her humanity. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And you say, why does he say it twice? Because we are humans, and we will forget to rejoice if we don't do it twice. And I'm telling you, church, that when you're in your next conflict, if you will begin to rejoice in the Lord, say, I don't know, I see their behavior, I see the problem, but guess what? God is good. I don't know, but I'm sure that they didn't mean that because God is a God who delivers. See, you start telling yourself an eternal story and getting an eternal perspective, and it will begin to change your mind and your heart in Christ Jesus. See, people ask me all the time, how do you not get stressed out when you walk into these conflicts? And I will tell you, it's because I tell myself a God story. I say every time, guess what? The gospel's going to show up today. Someone's going to die to themselves. Someone's going to bury that old man and begin to walk in that newness of life that Christ provides. Today is going to be a great day where Jesus gets the victory. I rejoice in who I know the Lord is. But here's the problem. If you don't know who the Lord is, there's not a lot to rejoice in. You've got to rejoice in what God is doing. And so you may have had a friend, and your friendship has been disenfranchised by some kind of conflict or sin, and you're, you're trying to figure it out. Begin to rejoice in the Lord. Begin to say, God, I believe that you can do something amazing in this relationship. Then he says this. Look at this, verse 5. Let your, let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. Let your gentle spirit, God... Help me to be gentle with my spouse. God, help me to be gentle with this person I am at odds with. And what is the premises for that gentleness is the nearness of God. We all have a story, a sin. Go back to your biblical core values, which we say right off the bat, the Father's presence, he's near. And when you begin to pray, God, you are near me in this situation. And you are near the person that I am in opposition with it begins to change your perspective. When you begin to pray for your enemy and you begin to say, guess what, God? You go before that person today that you are surrounding them, that you are with them every step of the way. The Lord is near. Now look at verse six. Be anxious for nothing. How many of you ever get anxious over something? I was at Subway the other day and some anxiety came out. Like it was one of those days where it, you, you uh, paid for a foot long, it was the price of six inches, right? And so when you have teenage boys, you're like, you're high-fiving. This is like a great day. It's like winning the Super Bowl, but you did nothing, right? 
And so we're like high-fiving. These kids eat like horses. And so we're like, man, you get a foot-long sandwich for the price of six inches. And we're high-fiving, we're high-fiving, we're high-fiving. And this lady from behind me screams out, what? I didn't get my other six inches. And have you ever had that tension just kind of like, whoops? You know, like, I, I didn't turn to her and say, hey, I'm the CEO of Peacemaker Ministries. Calm down, chick. You know, I didn't say that to her. I just stiffened up. She says to the guy behind the counter, she says, I want my other six inches. I paid six inches for six inches, and I should have got a foot long. And this is what the subway employee said. Ma'am, it's not my job to read the sign for you. So I've said this on TV before. Subway, I'm still open for hire. (laughs) Then she started saying some things I hadn't heard since prison ministry, right? She said, beep, beep, beep. So I'm like putting my hands over my kids' ears. We're moving down the aisle right there, right? There was some tension there. I can't even remember why I was telling you that story now. But, oh yeah, let me go. Oh, anxious. Have you ever been anxious for anything? See, anxiety can be something as loose as that or simple as that. Or it may be a family conflict that's repeated itself over and over and over and over again. And he says, be anxious for nothing, but look at this. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I share with you this because sometimes with God, we're acting as if he's not going to do something. How many of your prayers are more asking God to direct God to do something versus thinking that he's already involved in the process. Have you ever like told God what to do? God, I pray that you will soften my wife Tanya's heart. He's like, thank you so much. I never thought of that. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't make sense. God, I pray that person I'm in conflict with that you'll just do a miracle. God, just bring them to their knees, you know, and you're like praying for them and, and it's like, Thank you. I didn't know how this worked. You know, I mean, we pray to God with these funny prayers at times as if God doesn't understand something instead of a prayer like this. God, I thank you that you're softening my heart and you're softening uh, softening my wife's heart. A prayer of thanksgiving. God, I thank you that you're bringing me to my knees and you're bringing the other person to their knees. See, God is so concerned about that other person way more than you're concerned about them. And he is already at work with you. You can either pray what God isn't seemingly doing, or you can begin to thank him for what he's already done. He did it all through the cross. I'll tell you about this, about peacemaking. Never teach your kids peacemaking. Because when you have a family discussion, they'll remind you of all the principles. For instance, I teach my kids the cross is big enough. My wife and I have an argument, and they'll say, hey, Dad, isn't the cross big enough? And I say, kid, if you say that again, I'm going to nail you to that cross. (laughs) See, of course I'm being facetious. You teach your kids, but they'll remind you. You begin to thank God because God is doing something. It says, look at this in verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That is an outcome statement of the previous verses. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension. That's what we all want, don't we? We want God's peace to be in our life. And it surpasses anything that we could ever comprehend. We'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. Have you ever been around someone who plays the devil's advocate all the time? Those people are annoying. We don't need devil's advocates. We need God advocates. Any demon can see what's wrong with what's going on. It takes an act of the Holy Spirit to begin to see what's right. What is true, what is honorable, what is right about the other person. And some of us need to pray, God, I'm in this conflict. I'm in this tension like Eodia and Syntyche are. Help me to see what is true about this person. And help it not be my truth, but help it be your truth, God. Help it be not what is honorable. Help it not to be what I think is honorable, what, what you say is honorable. God, help me to see what's right about this other person. See, we oftentimes get so focused on what's wrong with them. But God, help me to see what's right about them. And we start telling ourselves a new story. We start going with my daughter. We start saying, woe is me. I don't have all this stuff here in a short period of time on earth. But great, you start telling yourself an eternal story. But wow, guess what? I'm going to have more days with her whole and complete than she's ever going to be in this fallenness. I tell, I tell people that all the time. I had a pastor call me the other day, and he was telling me all the things that he was doing and going through, and his board was crucifying him. And he says, so what, is, what do you think I should do? And I said, I think you should die more. And he's like, excuse me? I said, I think you should just die to yourself more. He goes, I'm doing everything I, I can do. I said, good. He goes, that's all you got? I said, yeah, that's it, because I know what's coming next, the resurrection. And so many of us want the resurrected life without the death. The only way that something that is resurrected is if it was once dead. And if you want newness of life in your marriage, you've got to die to yourself. If you want newness of, of life in that relationship that you're working through, you've got to die to self. Because the next thing that's coming is that resurrection. We, we repeated that in that question 43 that, that we went through, right? But most of us want that, that power, that, that excitement without the death. And as a church, you will go through this process over and over. And the key will not be seeing what's in the tomb or in the grave. The key will begin to see them through the newness of life that only comes through Jesus Christ. See, your mind in its fallenness will always go back to the death and burial. But in the newness of life, if you take thoughts captive, you can begin to see the goodness of God. You go, you know what? Yeah, they did that, but God did this. Yeah, that was a bad form of leadership, but God does this. We're all in process, and none of us are perfect. And that's why we have to set our thinking on the things above and not on this earth. At some place in our life, if we want true transformation, we have to begin to renew our minds and tell ourselves the God story, especially about those that we're in conflict with. Look at this, verse 9. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Did you notice that? In verse 7, it says, and the God of peace is with you. And in verse 9, the God of peace is with you. Now, some have argued, what are these things that he's talking about? Practice these things that you've learned. And I, I would say that you could go through all of Paul's writings to figure out these things. But it would make, make more contextual sense if you just went back to the verses that he just said. 
Paul must have been a man who rejoiced in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Paul was a man who tried to practice the gentleness that comes through the Holy Spirit because God is near. Paul was a man that would focus in on what's true from God's perspective, what's honorable from God's perspective, what's right, what is pure, what is lovely, what is of good repute. If there's anything excellent and anything worthy of praise, that, those are the things that Paul chose to dwell on. You say, wait a minute, but didn't Paul have some people at the end of his laundry list of of letters that he didn't like and da-da-da? Yeah, he did. But I can tell you this, that if you want God's peace in your life, begin to get God's perspective in your life and let that story be rampant in your mind. God has used me a number of times to turn organizations around and to turn churches around. It's always been an honor and a privilege to do so. And I can tell you, it's not talking about the fallenness of that organization. It's about talking about the hope and the vision that Christ has placed within that organization or group of people. At the gathering, the best days are yet ahead. I look around here, and I was telling your pastor on the way in, uh, there's, this is a mighty move of God, that God wants to do something amazing here with you. He wants to see people's hearts changed and transformed by the Spirit. And we can focus on what is wrong or what didn't happen or should have happened and could have happened. But instead, we could hold hands and stand up and say, guess what? We know that we're all fallen human beings saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And we're going to focus on our Savior. Moving our, our, our organization, our ministry forward for the glory of God. Surrounding each other with God's presence. Looking at that we are different people that we don't backbite and go back and forth. But we're a people who speak the best about each other and move forward in seeing that we're moving forward in the things of God. There is just such a great opportunity. There's a whole bunch of people. I didn't even know there was a balcony. Hi, guys. You're now part of the sermon. Yeah, I guess I did go get a mic, but there was, no, uh, there was none of you up there. So anyways, uh, great to have you. Um, what am I saying to you? I'll stand back here now. I can see you. Uh, what I'm saying to you is that we can believe the best and move forward in what God has for us by just simply telling ourselves a new story. When you wake up tomorrow, are you going to say, hey, today's the worst day of my life. Might as well go eat worms. Or are you going to wake up and say, today is the best day of my life because God is on the throne. Today is an opportunity I get to share Jesus and show Jesus to somebody. Today is a time where I get to walk in the miracles of God and whatever he would like to do. And this is what we're going to do today. We're going to receive communion. And in that communion, there may be someone that you need to reconcile with. Matthew five twenty three and 24 says, that if we're at the altar offering our gift and they remember that we have an offense against someone, he says, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. Now, oftentimes I'm asked, what if the other person doesn't know about my, my burden or my edge? You take, you take your confession as far as the knowledge of the sin. I'll just tell you that. Like, it doesn't do any good to walk up to someone and say, hey, I know you don't know this. You thought we were good friends, but I've hated you for 20 years. That's not, that's not beneficial. If, 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 if they don't know about it, you just take it to God and say, God, I just release this. It's yours. I'm going to choose to love. I'm going to choose to hold on to. And maybe there's someone that does know that there's conflict between you. And maybe they're not here today, and so you can't reconcile that. You can still start the first step of reconciliation through communion today and saying, God, you died for this. You were sacrificed for this. And then challenge yourself to go to that person and be reconciled. 
We've given you a simple tool. Discover the story. Ascend. Go back to your biblical core values. Take personal responsibility and make a plan. Pastor Matt, would you come and serve us communion today? Let's just take a few minutes to reflect as, as Brian has encouraged us to. table is open for all who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and have made that faith public through the waters of baptism. If that describes you, you are welcome to participate with us today. And, and if you're not a Christian, we just encourage you to consider what it would be to ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior and put your faith and trust in him. We can come up from the uh, back rows first, take the elements back to your seat, and uh, Stephen Taylor will lead us in communion together.